Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm your guest host, Simon Nameby, and today I'm taking a deep dive into the subject of mentoring with Dave Collins. I'm very pleased to be able to elbow myself into Dave's schedule today as he's got a great blend of academic research and hands-on experience in the area for me to interrogate. Uh, Dave, I'm not quite sure where to start with your bio. I, I know that you, I've certainly heard you mention that you're a front row forward, but I've, I've just been reading that you, you not only read books, but you also write them instead of colouring them in. So if you want to give us a... It's, it's phenomenal for a boy from Essex, mate. Yes, I, I um, much, I'm, I'm sure my English teachers, if they're still alive and not rotating in their graves, would be rotating at the thought of me being paid to write stuff. Now, it's phenomenal. Um, and no one is more surprised than me, unless it's my missus. <laughs> so uh, do, you, do you want to give the people listening just a, a quick rundown of, um, of your experience oh, and maybe around rugby or in, in terms of yeah. um, came came late to rugby played for the uh, Romford and Gidea Park Philosans which was a fifth team uh, of sort of 40 plus guys as those of you who remember the Philosan drug will remember um, so they were on a night out from their missus uh, they taught me to play rugby they taught me to drink and sing um at least they did the last two better probably than they did the first thing. They started me on the wing. Gosh, um, first time I played, they said, have you, have you watched it? Have you got any experience? Have you watched, watched it on telly? Um, uh, so the first time I was tackled, I stood up and pushed the ball between my legs and they said, no, you twit, you've been watching the wrong game. Um, they then asked me to throw in at the line-out. That's how long ago it was and I couldn't do that either. So I rapidly moved from wing to centre to back row to second row to front row, where which was it, that was where I should have started, and that's where I ended up. Um, career-wise, professional soldier, teacher, teacher educator, researcher in, in sports psych and psych, run, uh, working as a, an applied psychologist and, and stuff like that since 1984. Um, <laughs> dangerous date that. And, and now back sort of having worked as a performance director, uh, you know, this, that and the other, now back running my own company and as a visiting professor, oh, sorry, visiting associate professorial fellow at University of Edinburgh. Oh, fantastic. Uh, you must you must be doing 26 hour days to uh, cram all that into. Uh, it feels like it. It feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really interested to speak to you because I said you, you you got a good blend. I think I think the term you sometimes use is a pracademic, so the, yeah, you, you're pra- practical and academic. Be careful you get the C on the end there. <laughs> it's my Essex accent, but we'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the reason I'm interested to speak to you is because uh, I've looked into a lot of your work around PCDEs, professional judgment, decision making, things that are very very practical for coaches to be able to look into, but have got a solid research base and. Uh, I think I'm really interested in mentoring. It's become a bit of a hot topic. And 
the reason I'm interested to speak to you is because I do see certain things out there that don't have an evidence base or certainly questionable at the best. And I wanted to pick out from you for people that are looking to become a mentor or looking to access a mentoring service of one type or another, um, some of the issues around that. So the first thing I want to ask you is that um, mentoring can have lots of different definitions in terms of people can use it interchangeably with coaching, um, all, all sorts of different things. What, what does mentoring mean to you? You're right that mentoring is a very broad church and there are lots and lots of different definitions, but there are also lots of different ways in which it could work. You're also very right to say that there's lots of people out there who would see themselves as mentors and doing mentoring who are probably doing their mentees a disservice as much as a service. Um, if I answer it like this, there's a, there's a lovely quote from Bette Midler, the singer-actress, and she said, uh, she's joking, but she says, uh, that's, enough about, uh, that's enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? And, and you know, as, as a performance director in athletics, as a, as a psychologist, as a, as a coach, as a coach, educator and developer, I've, I've often seen people who are mentoring and it's all about them. Now I won't, you know, <laughs> the risk of, of the risk of being sued, I won't go into names, but it's, it's the extent to which, oh yes, I remember when I was winning that medal or doing that or whatever. Uh, and this is what I did as opposed to, well, this was my experience. You're in this situation. What do you think? Because as a, as a mentor, as a coach developer, as a psychologist, my job is to make myself redundant. My job is to de develop someone to an extent where they are capable of going out and doing it on their own. And therefore, I can't do it any other way, I would suggest, than to develop their skills of professional judgment decision making, um, which is a posh way of saying it depends. Um, which will be written on my gravestone. And for some people, I'm sure they'd like to engrave it. But the, but the point being that everything, you know, lots of anything involving people, Simon, is conditional. It's conditional knowledge. And that means it does depend And what would work for Simon wouldn't work for Dave or vice versa. Or what would work for Simon this month might not work for Simon in two months time. So the main thing about any role of working interpersonally, you know, to develop people is that it has to be about this conditionality. It has to be about, OK, so in this context, you do this. What about if the context changed? And therefore, my experience as a mentor, as a performance director, as a very poor performer, as a slightly better coach or teacher is much less relevant than the context and the situation that the player, the coach, the mentee, the person I'm working with faces at this time. So in general, you say to me, what's a mentor? And, and it's almost like that calls up for me a number of principles, which are that the mentor is trying to make himself redundant or herself redundant. The mentor uses examples from her or his background only to exemplify not to preach and that the mentor should be coming from a basis of uh, my colleague Jamie Taylor tells me off about this it's not evidence-based it's evidence grounded 
So it's not necessarily that we've studied this particular situation and it means this, but it's evidence grounded in that there's an argument as to why you might do what you do. Is, is that OK? Perhaps as we go through the talk, we can exemplify that to make it slightly less esoteric. Yeah, yes. Yeah. No, it all, all makes sense. And uh, one of the things I really like is the um, it, it depends in that every situation you you come across is totally different. One of my favourite quotes is the same man never crosses the same river twice. It's a different man. It's a different river and everything is a different situation. And so it depends is is great. And I think we should get into that professional judgment decision making. But I'll, I'll just I before, may, if I may, Simon, you'd be amazed at how many people who are professional, I'm making bunny ears as I say this, professional coach developers or mentors or whatever who poo-poo the idea of it depends. It depends is the simplest and most complicated principle and the most fundamental principle of working with people that you'll find. Of course, it flipping depends. Of course, you coach Simon differently to Simone. Of course, you, you know, of course, you coach a rugby team different to the way in which you coach an athlete and you coach that athlete or that rugby team different week on week, month on month. So, of course, it depends. The crack, the thing that's the complicated thing is what it depends on and what you therefore do. But someone who questions that, I, I don't know. I don't know where they're coming from, buddy. I really don't. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is what is the um, criticism of it depends? They say it's, well, <laughs> I think they say that it's a bottle out. That by saying it depends, you refuse, they, they are suggesting that you refuse to answer the question as to, so what do you do? And my point is, well, firstly, if I give you the answer, capital V, answer as to what to do in a certain context I, I must be wrong because the only person who knows everything in the world i'm married to apart from that you know or married you're married married maybe oh, you're, but yeah. Yeah, you know what i'm saying but you know it, it, there isn't a the answer there are a number of different answers and those different answers would depend on whether it's simon doing it or dave doing it or davina doing it or whoever yeah in other words the context is king so what you've got to do is avoid people who give you the answer and and pursue people and, and question people who give you a range of different answers against a range of different contexts, ideally with a range of different principles that mean you can come up with your own blend to solve the solve the thing. So I think that people who criticize it depends either haven't bothered to read it or are a bit miffed. <laughs> because the 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 way in which I would like to use it questions their absolutist stances. I avoid like the plague people who tell me there's one way of doing stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that because the the, yeah, PJ, the professional judgment decision making there's a really big there's a context it depends and there's a, there's a whole framework and structure around it which I think people will find very useful. I, I like stories because it gives context to things. So I'm always telling stories. And, and I remember doing my level level two rugby coach. And uh, my, my task was to develop the peel off the back of a line out. And being very, very frustrated that I wasn't just told what to do. And, uh, you know, there was a range. Everything you said, there was a range of principles. And it, yeah. they were very much setting me up in that it depends well because it's never always the same. 
And I found that as a, 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 an inexperienced novice coach, I found that very frustrating. But now, if I found myself in a position to be mentoring or coaching, I, I wouldn't be able to ever give anyone an answer and, uh, because <laughs> everything's so varied and you, can, you don't want to give a concrete answer because the next time they come up against that situation, it might have, require a totally different answer. Which And, and, and what you've just cited is... I mean, I must. I mean, you know, clearly, like like any professor, I rely on other people to do all the clever work. And and in this case, it's two of my contact, my ex, one one current colleague and one ex colleague, a fellow called Cliff Olson, who's a, a you know fantastic football coach um, at uh, one of my old universities, and a guy called Andrew Crookshank, who still works with me in my company. And we did some research on mentor mentees for the fa scheme which is clearly well resourced and, and and follow through i mean the ball's a funny shape but apart from that it's all right and and one of the things that we we very rapidly spotted was a epistemological mismatch don't ask me to spell it between the mentor and the mentee or in english yeah. the mentors it don't worry it's, not a <laughs> it's got to be simple so the mentor was arriving and going, look, what I want to do is to work with you to explore the principles you use and to tease out what's going on and, and to give you this these sets of principles and develop your thinking. The mentee was going, you're a that level coach. I'm a this level coach. You've got lots of drills. I will open my bag and you pour those drills in. So the, the expectation of the mentor and the mentee didn't match. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you've got that epistemological mismatch, epistemology in this case being how you think people learn and how you think this works, that mismatch means these guys are talking at cross purposes. You know, this guy's going, now let's explore your philosophy and why you're doing what you're doing and what are the basic principles you're using. And this bloke's going, never mind about all that, testes. You tell me how I do, you know, what I do in this context and this context and this context. And what you've just described, Simon, is perfect, mate. You know, that's that's it. That's the that's the cods up because the mentor should and in many cases is very sensibly trying to sort of develop the mentee as a thinker and the mentee is going never mind that what's the blooming answer and and you know that that's that's a clash buddy and it's not going to work well and what you've done and and many many coaches and coach developers go through is that progression from offering the answers to asking the questions now if you go back in time and you talk to Simon, the level two coach, yeah, with a full head of hair and you know, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> and then what Simon goes is, now blow this, I want answers. And what you therefore do is you get people buying into social media gurus who offer you answers because that's what you want. But that's not what you should ask for. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. They 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 tend to become a little bit snake oil salesmen. They're they're and women. They're they're pushing a product that can't work because it's an answer, and what you need is lots of answers for the different contexts. And they're they're actually pushing the wrong stuff. They're going. What they should do is to take a step back. 
and say, here are the principles. Now, here is how you develop your own answers. So beware the guy who says this is the answer. Yeah, there's, there's a lovely uh, I'm, I'm very into Japanese culture, having been, you know, uh, abused and <laughs> used and abused by several martial arts masters in my time. And there's a lovely Japanese saying that says, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him, which as I get fatter worries me. But really what it means, is if you meet the man who's got the answers, kill him because no one's got the answers except your wife and my life. Yeah. yeah. So um, how do you approach that um, with the people that you you mentor? Because I suppose and I, I actually do remember the, the guy standing up on the level two and saying, look, this is not 101 rugby coaching drills. We are not good. And he explained it all to me. But there was that mismatch. And I was like, yeah, but I just want that. And this was sort of pre-YouTube days. It was back in the dark days of 2006 or seven, I think. And, and it was hard to access information and, uh, and find that kind of thing. And that was what I was desperate for. So how do you approach that? Uh, how, do you, you know, because someone could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I could be sitting there, okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough. But then being really frustrated. So identifying that in someone and sort of overcoming that uh, as a mentor. I think it's an excellent question. At level one or level two, when people are answers hungry. And, and I mean, look, let's face it, level, a level one coach, how many level one coaches really aspire to go and coach premiership? Not very many. Or if they do, they ain't going to get there. <laughs> so what you do is they're saying that, you know, what do they need? They need enough information so they can go out on a Sunday morning and help with their sons or daughters, you know, session so they need some of those ideas they need some answers but even at that level you'd 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 introduce some variation you'd say so look here's a practice that you could use but you could vary it like this or like this or like this so that even at that stage they're starting to get a little bit of it dependsness in yeah and then when you go to level two, there is more it dependsness in. And then level three and level four. And, and by the time you get to level four or five, it's almost all it dependsness. It's almost all them generating answers and you questioning to tease out and expand their knowledge base and the, and the depth and the richness of their thinking. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Of course, yes, you give the client, in this case, the young the, the developing coach, not necessarily young. You give the developing coach what she or he wants and needs, but you you still avoid, like the plague, the it's like this. Uh, I think um, there, there can be a bit of a gulf and there can be people who offer the answer and the product and whatever. And then the other side of it, where they're just far too standoffish and they don't interact enough. So I think that's a very good way to... I, I, I see a lot of these things like with coaching as well with a lot of the kids that I coach is like it's wading out from the shallow waters into the deep waters rather than trying to chuck them in the deep end there's a lot of situations where you have to sort of like you're, you're you know the stabilizer with the kids it's like you're running along holding them yeah I've got you I've got you and then they're they're off on their own eventually so well, no you see that they are they had that, that again you you yeah, you've clearly been paying you've stolen another one of my analogies when you run along beside your kid grabbing them by the scruff of the neck you have to let go and you have to let go in the knowledge that they'll fall and probably hurt themselves. And if it's my youngest daughter, make enough noise to waken the dead in two counties away. Right. But if you don't let go, you do them a disservice. You do them a short term benefit 
they don't fall off and graze themselves. And of course, they don't damage the hearing of uh, everybody in the populace. But you do them a long term disservice because they don't. You, you have to challenge. You have to say, look, it's OK and it's all right to fail. So, again, I think that the degree of challenge, the degree of openness, the level of it dependsness systematically grows as you go up the levels and that's sensibly introduced like day one session one of level one this is how we're going to work but recognize that as you progress this is what's going to happen and and this is the real crack simon any governing body worth its name indeed sport coaching development builds itself on that it dependsness so if you're UK coaching, if you're um, EIS or if you're sorry, um, Sport England or whoever, if you have a responsibility to, 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 to drive the philosophy, the epistemology of coach development, you drive it by going, this is how it should work. You don't give answers, even though, you know, that affects your sales it's it's like you know i'm so i'm a psychologist i've been a psychologist since 1984 my job's to make myself redundant yeah it's bloody silly business but it's absolutely perfect for the client i do not build i avoid dependability dependence in my clients even though if i built dependence on my clients i'd have lots of clients for longer and you know i i'd, I'd make more money I suppose that the effectiveness is what generates more clients, isn't it? And that you actually people come away with a good result from working with you, and then that word of mouth spreads. I'd like I'd like to think so, but that's for them to say, not for me. However, yes, you're right. Yeah. You know, and then people go, actually, Collins isn't as thick as he looks. He couldn't be. So yeah, he's good to work in, and away you go. So uh, I heard you speak a, um, a while ago about um, obviously we have this level system within coaching. And you were talking about competencies because certainly I remember with my level one and level two, there was a big tick box of competency. And you were sort of talking about that working very well in certain trades or professions and uh, and not so much. Addressing and brick lane. Yeah. yeah. That's where it came from. That's when, because I'm ever so old, I can remember the NCC, the National Coaching Certificate, which was a precursor of the UKCC. And the way that was set up, they, they said, we, we can't trust this to academic, you can't trust this to an academic institution because it would be too fluffy and woolly. Let's, what, well, let's look around. Let's go for MVQs, National Vocational Qualifications. And let's look at how it's, you know, let's look at how MVQs work. And MVQs work on competency statements. As you say, Simon, it's been a big tick box and you go down and go, yes, 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 yes. Now, the, the number of you know, there's a big difference between competencies and competence. What we've written on is that when you get competencies, they should be only for black and white things. I would bypass competencies and say I want to go for expertise and expertise is bu is built up on the basis of this. It dependsness of knowledge. So um, I'm, I'm indebted to I'm indebted to Sarah from UKSCA for this example, which I think is brilliant. You know, so if you're teaching climbing, there's a competency as to how to tie a figure of eight knot. There's a right way and there's lots of wrong ways. The beauty of a figure of eight knot is even if you were, even if you tie it wrong, it still works a bit, but it don't work as well. So can he tie a figure of eight knot? Yes, he can. No, he can't. Boom. 
But the teaching of climbing and how you would work with a, a, a learner to teach climbing is completely different. It's much, much more independentness. So there are, it, what you end up with is a mixed model. A very good friend of mine in, in adventure sport, a guy called Lowell Collins, no relation, um, who, who talks about this sort of mixed mode bit, that there are, there are things where it's a competency. Yes, I can tie that knot. Yes, I can do um, CPR. Yes, I can um, throw, a, throw a throw bag this far. But then there's lots and lots of other stuff, which is, which is the interpersonal stuff, which is the independent stuff that's really based around an expertise model. It doesn't mean you're expert at the end of a course, but it means that you're thinking about that it dependentness and that builds your expertise. One example, this is stuff did years ago for tennis. We, we basically did two, we did two different types of courses. We did a, a, the, the, the traditional type of coaching course where we said it, it was very monkey see, monkey do. Do it like this. Yes, you can do it like this. Do it like that. Yes, you can do it like that. Tick, 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 tick. And the other half, the other groups did what we described as a declarative knowledge, the whys and the wherefores. And, you know, when we started, they were both the same. When we finished the course, the traditional group had got more better as opposed as, as assessed by independent guys assessing their coaching and their coaching decision making than the guys who had done our new method. Yeah. However, six months later, the guys who'd done the traditional method had stayed, they flatlined. They stayed where they were because they'd been trained to work in a certain way. And six months later, they could still work in that way. The guys who were behind at the end of the course had acquired an ability to watch and learn from what was going on. And they got more better, caught up, and passed the guys who'd done the traditional course. Now, that for me, if, if you know, it's, it's, a sl it's a longer, slower, but I would suggest higher quality learning that develops a, a, a learner. And I'm sorry, we've wandered away from mentor-mentee, but if we, if we go back to that topic, that you train a mentee to think for her or himself about how they might make decisions so that they are looking at stuff and they are critically evaluating it and they're going, I can use that. I like that, but I'm not sure I could use that. They're, they're making critical decisions about what they see and therefore they're expanding their knowledge all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I think that a lot of those um, higher level courses are moving that way. And uh, from what I'm hearing, they are introducing mentorship within long running courses that is aimed at developing that expertise but but let's um let's get into professional judgment and decision making because i think that's something that people find very useful and i'll link to some of your papers that you've you've discussed these things um so that people can go and read the research because it's very accessible but can we just talk about professional judgment and decision making from the the research context that you've studied it as and the yeah, terms sure. that you use to discuss that because that is what coaching is isn't it it's just about making it's, it's about having making a judgment on something and then decisions yeah. from that judgment and, and, and saying there are probably several options but for me in this context with this with this athlete yeah or this coach that's the best option yeah um and it, it there's a constant test and adjust um, so we developed, I, I developed PJDM with a, a lady called Amanda Martindale, excellent researcher. We developed it in sports psychology. 
because we were we were saying, look, if you're dealing with a, an athlete, there isn't a, the answer. You know, it's not a recipe that says, right, you need two sessions of goal setting, one session of imagery, bish, bash, bosh, thank you very much. Here's the bill. Yeah, it's not that. It's it's a lot more considered and it's a lot more varied. And then we took that and, you know, did some stuff with uh, with a guy called Andy Abram, at Leeds, who's now Leeds Beckett. And, and we said, well, well, this applies to coaching as well. Of course it does. And I'm currently doing stuff with a guy called Paul Downs in strength and conditioning. And we're going, yep, and it applies there too. Yeah, that anything, I mean, the, the, the basic the basics is that anything that involves interpersonal relationships and making decisions on the optimum blend, it's going to vary. And as it varies, you go, okay, fine. So for you at the moment, this is the best solution. Yeah, but give it, give it a month and that might not be the best solution. Um, can you just explain a little bit about the different types of um, decision making, you know, so type one and type two thinking that we that we go through because I, I found that very useful and and also you developed that idea so people may have heard about fast and slow thinking. Oh, uh, I see. Yes, yeah, so, of course, of course, yeah. But yeah. you um, you sort of developed that on a little bit with recognition time decision making and you go into a bit of depth in the papers and the research, which again I think will be really useful for people. Because well, it gives a bit of framework. That's, that's, yeah. okay. okay, that's not our work. That's the that's the work of a, a guy called Gary Klein and associates in the states. And it comes from a thing called naturalistic decision making, which is, I mean, they developed this to look at high stakes, i.e., the consequences are big. Short term, you have to make decisions quickly. Yeah, decision making. And they said when you're in that sort of circumstance, you you have to be quicker than sort of making a list, you know. So, for example, I mean, they've done it in firefighting, combat, um, you know, all, you know, you know, all that sort of situation. So, if you can imagine, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm ex-military, so we're attacking this hill and we come under fire, and I go, okay, so should we go left flanking or right flanking? Let's have a focus group. What do you think? You know, it's, it's all, you know, no, <laughs> it ain't going to work. You go right, blah, 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 do this. And that sort of high stakes decision making needs decisiveness and it needs to be done, you know, in a in a in a quick way, but in an opt, you know, the best answer. Um, there's some research that uses this term satisficing. You come up with the best the best decision, the best option that satisfies the context you're in. Now, that's very different to sort of thinking whether you're going to take that mortgage or that mortgage. Or whether you're going to buy that car or that car, or indeed whether you you know your girlfriend is going to marry you or that bloke over there, you know <laughs> that sort of really complicated decision tends to use of what's called classical decision making or CDM, whereby you weigh up the consequence, you look and you make sort of lists of pros and cons for different bits. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So you've got these two different types of decision making now. NDM naturalistic decision making there's a number of theories yeah and, and and i can completely understand you know someone who's a practicing coach going bloody hell every time every couple of years there's a new theory yeah well i mean the cynic in me says yeah that's something they sell more books but but <laughs> but what it comes down to is that when you have to make these quick decisions you tend to do you tend to rely on some 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 methods some recipes some heuristics as they're known so for example you have recognition prime decision making 
ah, yeah, I recognize this situation. Last time I was here, I did this and it worked. I'll try that again. Yeah. Or situational awareness. Right. So here I am. Um, I'm lucid. We're about to pack down. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing for the Lions in my dreams, but I'm playing for the Lions. We're five yards, 10 yards out from the uh, Springboks line. I bet they're going to try this. Right. I'm aware of the situation and the context. I bet they're going to try this. We will do this to counter them. Yeah. As opposed to in the week before, when we're thinking through our plans, we do in a far, a far slower, a more careful way of doing. So work with a, a lady called a, a fantastic hockey coach called Pam Richards um, um, and another colleague, Duncan Mascarenas, was that we went, uh, you actually need both. So if you can imagine you're a rugby coach in a like a sort of a premiership championship type setting, you'll be watching vi game film in advance and saying, look, here we are, you know, in this circumstance, they tend to do this. In that circumstance, they tend to do that. And that's slow thinking because you're all sitting on a chair and watching and making notes. And then you go outside and do a drill. Which simulates that and gets you used to making those decisions then you come back in and do it again and then you go out and drill it again and that combination of thinking slow to think fast makes sense yes thinking you're doing the slow stuff sitting on a chair and watching a video and talking it back and forth and then you go outside and simulate it so that on a saturday you're going you're primed for the sorts of situation you look for you're recognizing the situations of the comeback. So you get this recognition prime decision making. You're aware of the situation and aware of the context that in this context, yeah, the winger's just been smoked for speed. He's probably a bit pissed, so he's going to play up. He's going to try and smack his opposite number. So it's probably good to look at the option of a cross kick. Yeah. And and what that that quick fire naturalistic decision making has been primed has been prepped, has been set up by the slower or considered thinking through and ideally discussion between coach and players as to, so what are we going to do in this circumstance? And that's, I'm sorry, it's a bit long-winded, but that's how it is. That's, that's what works well. No, no, it's perfect to be long-winded because I think that's a really important thing for coaches to be aware of is that in the moment, in the session or in the game, that's the type of thinking they're going to be using and you know you're thinking in heuristics and and outside in the planning and preparation it's the slower thinking and the reason I think that's really important to make that distinction is because then I think you with you've already mentioned Lowell Collins you, you wrote a paper about the big five which is a tool to be able to develop that decision making because it's it's all well and good being aware of it but then you know did you make the right decision you know how could you could you be better you know are, are you picking up on the wrong things the right things so do you want to just talk a little bit about the big five? Because again, that's an interesting framework to help people yeah, sure. develop. The, 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 the whole, okay, if, if you buy into this idea that you need to think through the whys and why nots and the what's and what nots, yeah? And, and I've, we've recently done a paper that looked at uh, decision making in like international uh, premiership, premiership and international standoff centres, yeah? And we got, you know, we, you know, called it muscular collision chess. <laughs> and in those contexts, what's happening is it, you know, in, a, in the whilst the, you know, whilst the game's paused, 
the guy's sitting there and going, now what's on, what's on? And he, and he, in this case, he, chooses a number of different options and then weighs them up and then primes himself. So when the game starts, he knows what he's looking at to see which of those options he should and which of those options he should not do. Happy with that? Yep. Now, the idea of Big Five was, and there are lots of Big Fives in Psych, you know, we just, you know, so don't don't get mixed up, you know, this is something from, from other guys as well. The idea of the Big Five in this case is that when you make a decision as a coach, not every time, because, you know, get very, very tedious and your brain would fry, but every so often you'd go, let me just think about what I've just done. So you ask yourself or someone else asks you five questions. What have you just done? What decision did you just make? I decided to do this drill. Okay. Why? Question two. What was your goal? Question three. What alternatives did you just, you know, did you consider? Yeah. Oh, well, I thought I could do this. Or I could do this. I could do this. Very good. Question four. What would have changed in the initial display to make you choose one of those options? Yeah. What What would you have seen if, for example, I mean, for example, I'm planning a session and on a Tuesday night and just before we do the session, it's hissing down with rain. Yeah. OK, I'll change my plan. Yeah. Um, and I had this as an alternative drill. And because of the conditions, I got, if the conditions were like this, I'd have changed it. Very good. Question five. When and how would you be able to see whether you made the right decision or not? So big five. What did you do? Why? With what goals? What alternatives did you just consider? What would have changed in the context to have made you choose one of those options? How will you know and when that you made the right decision? And what that's doing is that's forcing a coach, in this case, to, to think about options, to think about alternatives, as opposed to you know, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I trained, I trained for, you know, played, played for a couple of seasons with Bedford and we did the, the, the coach, God bless him, had us doing the same drill every Tuesday night for the whole bloody season. And come the end of the season, we still, still couldn't do the bloody thing. But why, you know, and you just go, what the flip are we doing here? You know, um, and, and it's, 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 so it's, it's, it's asking, it's, in, it's forcing almost, it's, it's forced choice. It's making, go on, give me some options. Give me some alternatives. How else could you do this? And what we found is that that doing that, and we, we've done a study in adventure sports coaches, uh, and we're just completing a study, you know, with rugby coaches, that doing that and forcing that challenge and forcing that thinking opens up, it, you know, it almost like opens up your options because you're forced to generate options. So you come up with more options. Yeah, I, I really like it because I, I noticed that I think by talking and quite often I've sort of it, it informally been through a similar type of process discussing a session with another coach. And as you're talking it through, you realise there was a blindingly obvious better choice that you totally dismissed at the time for the wrong reason. And, and that just comes out talking to someone about it. And the other thing I like about that is it almost formalises uh, a critique so it's not they're not necessarily you know sometimes people can get a bit defensive if they're questioned whereas if the if the if you have that framework in place that you you're using uh, and i think in the research someone says that it, it they 
in the uh, action sports is they said the instructors the instructors now ask a lot less closed questions mm. when they're discussing what they're, they're going to do so again i think it's a very good useful practical framework that's got some practice so it's got some academic research behind it mate i'm glad it, i'm glad it works for you because it is important that people consider options and that they're not defensive about why you would do that why you wouldn't do that you know because it's like I say, there are a number of it, 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 you know, there are a number of possible answers. There always are, and if there are a number of possible answers, considering whether the other answers might have been more better, is really important, you know. Yeah, I, I, it's just a really funny thing. I, it's not necessary to do our conversation, but I was reading your paper um, about PJDM, and you'd given a series of coaches a, a fictitious long jumper. And uh, he had a, a set of circumstances around it. It really made me laugh because you asked them to um, to assess the long jump and what they needed, and then you then you decided whether or not they'd been using naturalistic decision making or classic decision making. And then then you you turned around to the people in the in the research and said, "Yeah, okay, right, that's the wrong answer." So now you need to reassess what you what you're going to do. And two of the coaches refused to take part in the study because I'm never wrong. I right. it was funny. And and I mean, this was I was I mean, I was just about to start working athletics at the time. And so it was, uh, oh, my gosh, my golly. You know, I can't know. I'm not wrong. It, could, it couldn't be wrong. And you just go, bloody hell, you know. <laughs> OK, fair enough. Um, well, I, I'll leave that with you, mate. <laughs> but. But no, you're right. And it was that that was a bit of an aha moment for me, you know, and I don't mean a Norwegian boy band. That was a bit of a sort of a flipping heck, you know. Oh, OK. All right. Um, but but there are lots of people in the in the field, coaches, teachers, coach educators, coach developers, lots of people who, who don't you know, they can do no wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it's it, it takes me back to that Ben Midler quote, you know, no, no, no. You know, it's all about me. But I think that's. Um... That's where like things like the Big Five are pretty good because it's it's them telling you their answer, right? You know, them like what happened with me is you realise yourself that you you've got it wrong, you know, rather than someone telling you this was right, this was wrong. Now, 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 just just a minute. Contrast something like the Big Five with something like the Think Aloud. Right? Have you heard of Think Aloud? Uh, no. Okay. So Think Aloud, which is a method that I mean, for example, if you went on your advanced driving test. Yeah, you'd be driving along and they'd ask you to comment on commentate on what you're doing. So I'm driving along the road. I've just seen that, you know, there's a school coming up. The kids are just coming out. I need to give that. You know, it, and so you're you're almost like you're exposing your thinking. Right. Now, that sounds great. And at a certain level, it is. It's a good research tool. But it's. Saying what you're thinking which has been sieved yeah, yeah and there are two alternative methods one's called an, 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 an again it's a bit of jargon it's called a, an actor and an, an, an applied cognitive task analysis we've used it to research strength conditioners used it to research adventure sports coaches we've used it we've used it for csi glasgow which I mean, I'm thought, I tried for a CSI in Miami, but I got bloody Glasgow. No, you know, nothing to be wrong about Glasgow. But, but again, it's it's examining the thinking in more depth of people. In this case, in crime scene investigations, this is again what work with Amanda Martindale. Now, actor, this applied cognitive task analysis 
is that's that's a that's a better research tool because you're getting into not the, not just the what so i'm driving along i'm seeing the score but the why okay so i've looked at my watch it's 10 minutes to four i know there's a school in this room you know what you know that it, it, it gives you more of the logic that makes sense context yeah then and then context on the nosy and then the next stage of that is something like the big five that requires you know note requires you to come up with alternatives it doesn't just say what are you thinking you know it's saying how else could you do it and and for you know that's that's why i think it works simon because i'm turning around to you as a coach and i'm going you know either as your mate or as you yourself or indeed as your mentor and i'm going okay simon okay good answer how else could you have done it and what would have changed to make you do it that way instead so um i'm interested um from your personal perspective about assessing the effectiveness of a relationship so either from a mentor's perspective or a mentee's perspective have you got any thought i might i might i realize i'm asking almost an impossible question but if you're working with someone that's obviously it can be very challenging working with a mentor because that's the whole point of it they're trying to make themselves yeah yeah no but the, the, the trouble is sometimes people make it too cuddly fluffy bunny and it and it's not challenging yeah um again andy abram i have, have, have written about some work uh from you know from uh, a guy called a guy called noel lentwistle and he says that as you know he, he was talking about university students and he said when you start as a university student knowledge is facts you know so i know that because name said that and i know that because connor said that and, blah, blah, blah. and then as you move through your university course if you get to the end of that process it's conditional and well it depends it's, it might be like that but under this circumstance it might be like that instead so you move from certainty to conditionality makes sense yeah and that's that's something that most people do as they learn but noel was very clever because he said round about the middle of that process that gets very very stressful because you're going, you know, hang on a minute. Um, I, you know, I, I used to know all this and now I'm not sure. And some people go blow this and they go back to start again. <laughs> and they stay in the knowledge, you know, knowledge is facts. I, I know that I'm comfy. Leave me alone. I'm happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, I, I remember I, I, I had the pleasure of working with the Army Physical Training, the Army School of Phys PT and the Army Physical Training Corps. Lovely, lovely guys who tortured me through Sanders and um working with them about and i can remember one of the and these guys were had left school at 16 had gone away shooting people or doing whatever they did and then they'd gone into the core and they'd qualified as as ptis and they were brilliant they were open well most of them were open they were thoughtful they were enthusiastic and these the number of guys who came through that and got first class honors or two ones and i can remember one of them saying at graduation he said you're a bastard Collins. you know when i started this i knew everything and now I, I know FA, yeah. <laughs> you know, and but all he recognised said, no, you don't. You know even more. What you recognised is that there's lots of conditionality to it, and and that's my point. You know, it, you you don't know all the answers. You can't know all the answers, even if you knew all the facts. There's still conditionality there, and what that means is that you are making you're making judgment calls, which is why PJDM. 
you're making a judgment call. In this circumstance, I think that's the best option. Yeah, so that was fine. And when those long jump coaches, they were horizontal actually, they were long and triple. But when those some of those coaches went, no, 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 that wouldn't, that, this would work. Don't be silly. Of course it wouldn't work. So, well, <laughs> imagine it didn't. Well, it wouldn't. Okay, fair enough. You know, and that's where we were. So it's it's really nice to be able to uh, to get people who are recognising, I think this is the best answer in the circumstance. I think this is the best answer. Yeah, yeah. So you're, I saw that in a, another context. Someone was saying, we don't know what the answer is, but our best shot at the moment is this, and you've got to give it your available information. And you go, you give it 100%. Yeah, and even I mean, look, you know, we're, you know, both both as rugby players, if the whole team does something at a hundred miles an hour, even if it's not quite the best option, it's bloody. It might well become so because you do it with such commitment. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, I'm just interested if if there's any other bits and pieces that have come out of your research or your experience of mentoring that you think people should be aware of because uh, like i say i think more and more people are going to get into becoming a mentor or to taking one on are there so we've talked about pjdm um we've talked about the big five we've talked about conditionality uh, just various aspects of decision making which is what coaching are are there any other issues I've, I've, I've seen you mixed with too many politicians because i didn't answer your last question <laughs> which was about evaluating it yeah. 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 And OK, so if you are you familiar with the idea of process and outcome. Yeah. Right. So I think that you evaluate the impact of mentoring more by process than outcome. The outcome should clearly be that I am more open, that I generate more solutions, that I come up with more options. But the judgment of how effective the relationship has been is more about the process. How do I find, you know, is my mentee, sorry, is my mentor encouraging me to come up with more answers? Is my mentor giving me, you know, empowering me almost, I hate the word, but it, it, it's, it's appropriate to come up with new answers and to try out new things? Yeah. Are they encouraging me to try stuff? Yeah, to go outside my comfort zone, to, to go into circumstances and experiment, because only by experimenting, only by trying out new ideas and seeking out new ideas critically, not just going, you know, this bloke said that that must be brilliant. Yeah, I, I remember attending. I won't do the accent, but attending a, a, a session by an Australian swim coach and this Australian swim coach. He's doing a session and he puts up on the he puts up the he puts up on the flip chart and he goes, here's the training session that I've used with Athlete X, and Athlete X was a triple world champion. And he left it up there for a minute and he said, Now stick your hand up if you've just written that up, if you've just written that down. And everybody went like that. He said, And how many keep your hand up if you've got a triple world champion? <laughs> so he said, what the flipping heck have you just written? He didn't quite say that, but what the flipping heck have you done writing that down? You're going to kill some poor bastard doing that. Yeah. You can't You can't copy. You have to critically evaluate. You have to look at what's there and then go, actually, yeah, that would work. But only bits of it would work for, you know, my, my guys. You, you can't take what, what Eddie does with England and apply it to your under-13s. You know, it, that would be a nonsense, wouldn't it? So yeah. a good mentor is encouraging the mentee 
to have this conditionality, to think critically, to be able to reflect on stuff and say, I like that bit, but it won't work here. Or I like the principle, but what that means for my group in this context is this. And the mentee should expect the mentor. Yeah. And this is, again, where you're right. There's a good deal of almost priming of, of pre-education that needs to go through for the mentor, the mentee, to know that the mentor should not offer him or her solutions. Sometimes yes, but mostly no. They should question and tease out why and why not. Yeah, that is, of course, assuming that the mentor is also clever enough to see those options. Which is why someone who's been a very good performer, either as a player or even as a coach, does not necessarily make a good coach developer, mentor. Yeah. So what, what do they say? They say those who can do, those who can't teach, and those who can't teach, teach teachers. But, but, but the, the point, you know, and having done all three, I can see what's going on. But, but what you're talking about here is that they're different skill sets. There are overlaps, but they're different. You know, you could be a belter of a coach and be an absolute nonsense coach developer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely seen that personally. And I'm just interested because I know that uh, there's various private and national governing body courses now around mentoring that are starting to come out. And all of them I've seen, my initial reaction is having been on private courses and having been on national governing body courses, there's no guarantee that what you're going to get is going to be free from pseudoscience or opinion rather than oh, no, factual type stuff. And, and so I, I was just keen for this chat to give people things to look at to assess the process they're going through. So, you know, to also to read for themselves, to understand professional judgment, decision making tools like the Big Five help them through when, when I was in class 2B at Squirrels Heath Junior School in Gidea Park, yeah, my teacher, God bless her, yeah, said, Miss Collard, said to my my mum and dad, I wish David would stop asking why all the bloody time. <laughs> um, and, and 10, 15 years later, I went back to the school, you know, as a Royal Marines officer and, you know, and, and doing presentations. And, I, you know, we chatted and I said, you know what? I now make a living asking why. Yeah. That's why I'm good at what I do, because I ask why. And I think outside the box. Yeah. And and she nodded and smiled and went, Yeah, you were a little git though. And I said, oh, that's a fair cop. Yeah. But but the point the point is that it it's the appropriateness of it. Now, if we go back to that I that situation I said earlier, when we're we're just getting shot at and I decide to hold a focus group as to whether we go left flanking or right flanking, yeah. There is, there, is a, there is an appropriate moment to make a decision. There is an appropriate moment to debate that decision. Yeah. Sex, comedy and coaching. It's all about timing. <laughs> yeah. So what you do is, you know, in this context, this is this is not the time. You know, it, it's like, you know, it's like Inspector Clouseau. Now is not the time. It, it's, you know, it's, it's no. Make a decision. Do it. Yeah. Make the best decision you can. Get on with it. If later on that's that wasn't a good decision, okay, fair cop. As a performance director, I'd be saying to my coaches and my coach developers, I expect us to make mistakes. Because if we're not making mistakes, we're not pushing the envelope. And if we're not pushing the envelope, we won't get better. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a key thing is that um, 
there's certain processes that people go through that the failure is sort of terminal and it's not really it's just part of the process and and you need to understand that that, that is that failure is information i think coaches are starting to talk about that a lot in the coaching process but i i'd be interested to i'm interested to see where this whole mentoring i'm going to call it an industry because that's why i see it at the minute is that how that sort of develops because um it'll be interesting to see what the what the outcomes the people that are, are delivering this education are after and i think it's important for people to to go away and ask why themselves is what what am i learning and why from this person and um how valid is it that's that's what i'm interested in i can only i mean i, I can completely agree with what you're saying um think of this uh coaching's complicated therefore there are a number of possible solutions that would work yeah um therefore that complexity you shouldn't hide from that complexity you should embrace that complexity but you should always be accepting of there are a number of solutions that's fine okay come up with a number of solutions but if if coaching is complex then coaching coaching yeah. meta coaching is even more complex around and therefore pardon my essex grammar but you know that that's where it is you know it's so therefore it's not something that you can step into being a mentor is not an easier option it's actually a more complicated option and therefore it requires training as much as being a coach does yeah and and so therefore taking some you know uh i i i love or not there's an aldous huxley quote about experience and it says experience is not what happens to a man it's what he does with what happens to him in other words just because you've done some it doesn't mean you learn you learn if you thought about it and picked the bones out of it and said, right, that's where it is. Now, same thing. If you're if you're going to be a coach educator, a coach developer, a mentor, you'd better be thinking very carefully and very deeply about what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it, yada, yada, yada. Makes sense? So, so reflective practice would be a key thing for a mentor to be looking at, because there's lots of ways you can go wrong with that too, aren't there? Oh, Lord, yes. Lord, yes. And and actually recognizing that you'll you'll you know that the mentor the mentor mentee relationship is two-way learning it's not i know you don't you bloody listen yeah yeah, yeah? it's not i've got the drills you've got the bag here you go yeah it's a two-way process i i have the pleasure of working with a number of very very clever younger people I mean, younger, they've got to be, I'm, you know, I'm one of the Methuselah now, but they're very, very clever and they're very, very clever and they're very, very pushy. They're polite. You know, they, they you know, they'll buy me a beer every so often, but they'll still say, Dave, not sure about that. And and that's great. You want to surround yourself. I mean, you know, I think there's several, several coaches who's, you know, who said and several business people who've said, surround yourself with clever young people who disagree with you. So do you think it would be appropriate for a mentor to challenge back to the mentor, uh, sorry, the mentee to challenge back to the mentor? Is that Completely. an appropriate? Completely. Completely. But what, at an appropriate, you just said at an appropriate time. When's not appropriate? Okay. Yeah. When you're at the bottom of the hill getting shot at, um, yeah. right, we're going to go left flanking. I do not want, you know, my one of my Marines to go, no, I think we should go right flanking, sir. Yeah, I don't think we should go left flanking. Listen, we'll talk about it afterwards. Get on with it. You know, so, you know, it's timing again, but, but um, the, there isn't, the, the generally isn't many times when it's inappropriate for a mentor and a mentee to discuss and discussion is two way. You know, um, one of, you know, lots of our research 
has looked at high performing environments as opposed to high performance environments. High performing environments are built on quality disagreement. You know, I can remember working uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a very top in a top premiership club and sitting in the coach's room. And these boys would argue like, you know, almost came to blows. You know, in terms of, no, we should do this. No, go away. We should do this. But the minute they walked outside to work with the players, it was, we're going to do this. Yeah. So you disagreed, you know, to, to, to argue with vigor and to disagree without rancor is the mark of the true mind. People are in there. They're arguing. They're passionate. They're producing evidence. But then they know decisions made. Off we go. Yeah. And that, the fact that that discussion has to be two way. Would that be the, the zone of uncomfortable debate? Is that what? Oh, well done. Yes, the zone. Live life in the zone of uncomfortable debate. That's a, uh, it's uh, it's from organisational psychology, from business psychology. That's a lady called Veronica, Ronnie Burke, Veronica Burke. Um, but no, completely, completely. And it, it's it's therefore people going. Um, I'm not sure that's right. Um, I, I, as I said, I'll, I'll link to the the research we've discussed here, the PJDM paper and the Big Five, various different things. Is there is there anywhere that people should go to look up more of your research? Would it just be most Google of our scholars? You know, again, some some uh, gurus. Uh, I'll use I'll use the term politely. Um, have a go at academics and say, oh, it's all behind a paywall. You know, they say that whilst happily charging people to use their website yeah. never like, yeah. you know. um, but virtually everybody's work now is available free on the university site so if you know i'm now at university of edinburgh anything i publish is available you can go onto the website and you can request copies you know when i was at uclan it was there um but then you've got things like ResearchGate. you know i've got got people putting out free copy you know all sorts of stuff so i mean in terms of rugby i would have a look at that muscular collision chess yeah collins collins carson um which is about decision making um another one of the bright young things um mike ashford who's recently joined our company um has done a, a similar a similar study very very good study in um in in uh, uh, championship rugby, so there's again there's there's several sort of very good rugby papers there. Uh, looking at the thinking thinking slow to think fast, which is Richards Collins. Um, you know, th there's lots out there. But uh, again, if people if people are having trouble, not a problem. Have a look. We're we're actually we've we've said we're going to write. It depends coaching. You know, yeah, so yeah. so that you know. I'm waiting for the film rights to come. I mean, clearly, I will be paid by George Clooney. Um, Jamie Taylor will write that with me. I think. Uh, I, I think we're 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 trying to get Prince Charles to play him, but uh, you know, but but we're, <laughs> I, I love you really, Jamie. But you know, yeah, but seriously, you know, we we will try and put out stuff, and and and, and that will be there, and it'll be it'll be useful. But if I think it's, I think we try to write, as you said, in a pracademic sense, we try to write so this stuff will make a difference. So people can understand it. If it's complicated in the paper, it's because it's complicated. Yeah, like yeah. Einstein said, make everything as simple as you can, but no simpler. And if you make it too simple, it loses meaning. So yeah. we'll we'll keep it like this, mate. We'll keep it. Yeah, like this. and I think it's important. I always encourage people to go to the source because you can have the Chinese whispers effect. You know, when research is boiled down and passed along on a course, it's much better to actually look at the papers yourself. Oh, so. It's, it's oh. not Chinese whispers. It's uh, it's sheer 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 bald faced thie thievery. 
with that, with a bit of corruption of of the actual message as it goes down through the as it passes just a, along. Just a touch. If um if people uh, want to get in contact with you or the company, what's the best way to look you up? Info info at greymattersuk.com. Um, any inquiries available for bar mitzvahs, charities, twenty first birthday parties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I mean, have a look have a look at the website. We're just getting the website redone. www.greymattersuk.com. Yeah, or through Simon Nameby Associates uh, PFP. <laughs> Well, we'll have to discuss the affiliate fee afterwards. Oh, no, no, quite right, too. I mean, <laughs> I, I would come and use your glamping site, but my missus loathes camping, so uh, we won't be doing that. Oh, tell her she's got an ensuite shower and toilet. That oh, mate, that. mate, it doesn't work. We went glamping. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we hired a, a boat on the broads that was the size of a bloody destroyer <laughs> to try and get... Anyway, never mind. But uh, no, 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 it's, um, you know, it, it, I mean, it's fine. And, and I, I do think... I mean, yeah, of course, we're commercial. Of course we are, Simon. That, that's that's yeah. why we're doing, you know, and that's fine. But I, it's it's important that people ask the whys and why nots. Yeah, yeah. And of, of anybody who offers you advice, anybody who won't answer the whys and why nots can't be any good. It's, I think it's, like, try, it's like trying to buy a car off a bloke who won't tell you what the mileage is. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I think it's good to, to see that academics then go out to do this kind of thing because... Uh, just makes it that much more accessible because you've actually got a bit of skin in the game with a consultancy there's an interest to, to do that and to develop people so but dave listen i've i've taken uh, a little bit more time of of, of your time than i uh, intended sorry, that's to. too much mate i'm sorry <laughs> no it's fine it's been absolutely fantastic and uh, just want to say thank you very much for uh, and thank you for the opportunity buddy i mean it's it's lovely it's lovely to talk religion about rugby that's great yeah. and uh you know, work from there and have a, have a good night. God bless. Thanks, Dave. Cheers, buddy.